Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself and your business today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs. We have our small business owners. We have our local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches and consultants. We have the folks who help others create and grow their businesses. And then on the other side of that same coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore our episodes, discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also check us out on iTunes. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated, helps us help more business creators just like you. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. We have over 140 episodes online, and every week we serve fresh content directly to your iTunes. In today's world, customer service has become a premium. And we have noticed a few trends that in some ways are very unfortunate, but at the same time create new opportunities for us. In the world of social media and the world of instant information, gone are the days where you can allow your customer service to go days and days and days without a response. We see way too many instances of people will purchase something online and then within 30 seconds, if that download link hasn't shown up, they want to know what's taken so long. So you kind of have to stay on top of that. We have this concern. We have this fear that if despite our best efforts, something just doesn't go right and we just don't end up serving that customer, that customer doesn't feel like they're being served, to be clear, in a way that they were hoping that we can easily get trashed all over social media. It's happened to a lot of our business creators, and it even happened to me once, not because of anything I did, but because of one of my joint venture partners and the dispute they were having with them. They took it out on me because I recommended the person. So it can happen to anybody at any time, and you can be completely innocent, but it can still cost you. And that's why I was very excited when Tema Frank reached out to us and asked if she could be on the Business Creators Radio Show. And she's going to share with us how you can compete at a time of rising customer demands. So just to tell you a little bit about Tema, Tema, best-selling author, international speaker and consultant, she has over three decades of experience in business and marketing strategy, usability testing, and customer service improvement. Tema Frank started using the internet for email in 1991, which was four years before I did. And she had her first website up in 1995, which is two years before I did. So really, I'm the student. She's the teacher on this one. Tema has been immersed in the web world ever since. In 2001, she launched Web Mystery Shoppers Incorporated, which is one of the world's first usability testing companies to do large sample size remote usability testing of websites and web-related customer experience. The testers work from their own computers, giving page-by-page feedback on their in-depth user experience, information, and recommendations for clients. In 2012, she created what's known as the Frank Online Marketing Show, which has now become the Frank Reactions Podcast, and extended her digital and customer service consulting, teaching, and speaking services. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Canada's Best Employers for Women, a guide for job hunters, employees, and employers, 
and is currently working on her second book, which actually just recently came out, called People Shock, Why People Matter More Than Ever, ever in the Digital Era and How That Changes Business for Everybody, I guess. Tema has lived in several Canadian cities, as well as in the Netherlands, France, and Mexico. She's fluent in French and English, and also speaks tiny little bits of Spanish and Dutch. Unfortunately, I'm a monoglot, so that would go right over my head. Uh, but I can tell you that her first name rhymes with Emma. It's Tema, not Tima, Tema. And she now has an adorable niece named Emma. So we have uh, Emma and her Aunt Tema. I've got to imagine that's a very beautiful thing in your family reunions. Welcome aboard. Come on down. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Adam. You bet. Now, I just had a lot of fun reading your official biography, which is very <laughs> impressive, and I even tripped over it a couple times because there's just so much great information there. But what I'd like you to do is just take a moment. Uh, for those of our listeners who are still researching you, getting to know you, as we're going to be have the opportunity to do here within the next 57 minutes, is just tell us a little bit more about your journey and what it was that passionately brought you to where you are now, sitting at the intersection of your brilliance and passion with what you do? <laughs> well, you know, it's been a long and winding road, I've got to say. Um, back when, as you can tell from that bio, I've been at this for quite a while. And right. when, I, when I did my undergraduate business degree way back in the late 1970s, um, at that point, I was one of 12 students in a class of 700 who were interested in entrepreneurship. Right. <laughs> All the others were starting to, you know, go work for big firms or become accountants, and that was never me. So it took me a while to figure out uh, what was going to be the right thing for me. Um, but I, and I experimented a little bit, and, you know, I started in the banking industry and in marketing within banking particularly, and then I got laid off, and I was about to get married to a professor who had a research leave coming up, and so I thought I could get another career job, or I could freelance and go to Europe. So uh -huh. Europe won, <laughs> and then thus began my uh, self-employment career, which kind of grew into a whole bunch of other things. So the first book, uh, Canada's Best Employers for Women, really came about because while we were in Europe, I got pregnant, and when I came back to the country, I thought no one's going to hire me because I'm visibly pregnant. I might as well write this cool idea I have for a book, which uh, was great. And so I did a fair bit of work after that, consulting with companies about their employment policies and practices and how to improve them. And And one of the things that I learned through that is great employers for women are great employers for men too, even though the reverse is not always true. But they basically, they genuinely care about their people. And this is one of the things that underlies my new book, People Shock, is the importance of people in a time when more and more is automated, more and more is digital, means that we have less human interaction, but the quality of those interactions has to be better than ever. And you're not going to be able to deliver great people service, customer service, if you're not treating your internal people well as well. So this book tries to bring all that together. Right. Um, and then uh, Web Mystery Shoppers, uh, the remote usability testing, that really came about because I was just frustrated by how difficult it was. This was in 19, just before 2000. And 
it was still so difficult to buy anything online. And I thought, this, this is nuts. And realized that part of the challenge was websites were being totally designed by IT people. And IT people don't think like the rest of us. <laughs> and right. they needed... I needed some way to help them understand how everyday customers perceive the world and perceive their websites and their web-related service. So again, this book kind of pulls all those threads together and that's really become my passion is just trying, initially it was to make the web world a better place, but now looking at that full picture of how do we provide what's now called omni-channel customer service that works. So how do you provide service no matter how customers want to deal with you, no matter when or where, how do you provide service at the level that they are expecting? You know, sometimes it's just the little things. I Do you sometimes still receive broadcast emails from folks where okay. the, you know, like, you know, like say you get on your mailing list and they're sending out their e-zines, their launch emails, their blog posts and things like that. And if you attempt to click reply to the email, one of these two things could happen. You mm -hmm. find out it's one of those no reply email addresses where the response goes absolutely nowhere, or you find out that uh, by clicking reply, it goes into a ticketing system, which then notifies the person, uh, thank you very much for your submission. Uh, a member of our team will contact you within the next three business days. Two problems mm -hmm. with that. Number one, uh, the words no reply should not be in your vocabulary anymore. If you Correct. are if you are sending out a broadcast email, and I'm and I'm and I'm glad to have you here because I want somebody to tell me I'm right about this because people still <laughs> argue is that um, if you if you are sending out an email and the person chooses to click reply, that should go to a human being. It doesn't necessarily have to go to you, Tema, as the head of your business. If you have a leverage business and you have somebody to handle this stuff for you, it can go to your customer service person, but it should go to a human being. Who is in the, who has the ability to respond to that? Not only because it's friendlier, but also because uh, it actually increases your email deliverability over time. Because then the various organizations that monitor deliverability and the algorithms and all that will see, hey, this is a two-way conversation. We should probably start moving this one to the inbox rather than the promotions box. Funny how that mm -hmm. works. That's first reason. Mm -hmm. Second reason is somebody's clicking reply. A lot of those emails that they're when they click reply, a lot of the stuff they type is either them sharing their personal reaction to what you just shared, which means you got them. If they're now yep. replying and telling you their personal story or how your email made them feel, you got them. That's the mm -hmm. conversation you've been waiting for. Why would you stick that into the bin and put it in a queue? And along with that, if you're using a ticketing system, and uh, and I used to be completely anti-ticketing, but I've evolved. Now the ticketing systems have evolved as well, where you don't have to go to a board and log in. You can just do the entire ticketing thing by email, and just by putting a code inside the subject line, it tracks the thread. That's good for your team, and it's also good for your customer, because then the customer can usually log in and see the history too. If you're using a mm -hmm. ticket board, you got to treat that like your email, which means you don't have a three-day response policy. It's got to be like uh, Tema, Tema, see what I do? Tema sends out an email. <laughs> Uh, Tema, I'll think of Emma, right? So Tema sure. sends out an email, and somebody replies to Tema. Within what range would Tema typically respond? Would it be five minutes? Would it be within one business day? Would it be next time she hits send receive? And that should be your standard for how quickly you respond to the tickets. 
So yeah. uh, that's one of the reasons I'm so glad to have you here is because I just wanted to run that by you real quick. And it sounds pretty much in line with what you're going to share with us. And you have a ton to share with us. In fact, I hope we can get through it all. But there is one <laughs> question I need to ask you. And our okay. business creators who tune in every week know what's coming. In fact, I'm going to do the drum roll here. And my cats are getting all excited because they love the drum roll. And <laughs> here, here it comes. Here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And a lot of our listeners tell me they have everything they need to implement anything that we say they need to do except for time and money. This is a question we ask everybody who appears on Business Creators Radio Show. What I like is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of different ways the question is interpreted. So how do time and money impact what Tema Frank is going to share with us today about customer service? Well, I totally feel the pain of your listeners because I always struggle with those two issues too. Uh, right. Time and money are the huge challenges for entrepreneurs, absolutely. There are certain tools that I've learned to use that help. Um, so, for instance, when it comes to email management, there's a lovely tool called Active Inbox if you use Gmail that basically – kind of turns your Gmail into a task management and tracking system, which I love. It means I don't have to leave Gmail and go log things elsewhere. So I find that extremely helpful. And then, of course, the other thing that we all have to do is learn to delegate and to bite the bullet and spend a little bit of money to hire people doing to do things that aren't the best use of our time. Right. So I, lo I love that, that there are apps, and a lot of our listeners are Gmail users. Gmail is very popular because it's a mm -hmm. very good platform for running a business, and you have your, yeah. you know, your, your, your business apps and everything else. There's different ways you can use Gmail, which is great, and uh, that's part of what I mean by if you're going to use a ticketing system, and there are so many WordPress plugins that create ticketing systems, but the yeah. key is to make it behave just like your email, where I your totally customer service agree. Or yeah. you personally are just receiving the emails and replying to the emails, and it builds the ticket history as you go without anybody yeah. even needing to log in. That not only will help your customers get a faster response, it will make it easier for your customers to communicate with you, and it will be easier for you to communicate with your customers because it's one less login. Yep, I totally I'm agree. Sorry to keep hammering that point, but I, but I still <laughs> reply to people's emails and get told that I've been put into a queue and I can expect mm -hmm. a response within three days. And uh, by three days, I've already moved on to your competitor. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, you know, three days is outrageous. It's ridiculous. I can see where huge, huge, huge organizations may need to have something that says, thank you for the email, we'll get back to you within X number of hours. Right. But we're talking hours, not days. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, like on my own direct email, I have an auto reply that goes up that says that uh, it just says, hey, I got your email and I'll be back to you if necessary uh, by close of business or in the morning. And the reason I do that is just so that it answers the questions automatically to get my email. So I don't have to click got it. So it saves yeah. me. And second yeah. of all, it sets a reasonable parameter. Now, if you're somebody who's close to me, like you're one of my titanium clients, or you've just spent a lot of money on one of my products, and the link isn't working, and Dagnabby, you just spent 19.97 on me, and you want to start diving in right now, they know that, okay, it might be three or four hours, or it might be till tomorrow morning, so I get a response on this email, so maybe I should just call. 
Mm-hmm. So it also gets, so it always gives your customers an expectation as well. Uh, yeah. So overall, Tema, in your experience, which is pretty vast, most businesses want happy customers, but overall, the customer experience ratings we're, dro- we're seeing are dropping. Uh, why do you think that is? I think what's happened is, as a result of the Internet and social media, our expectations have just got higher and higher, and they're continuing to get higher. So, for instance, that three-day reply, five years ago, people would have accepted. Now they won't. So customer expectations, I think, are rising faster than most companies realize and faster than most companies are managing to cope with. So, you know, now, and the reason I say it's thanks to the Internet is, if you if we're not happy with the service we're getting, it's really easy to just switch. And right. it's much easier to find out about what competitors are out there. It's also really easy to blast a company that hasn't treated you right, which can have trickle down effects. Right. And, you know, the upside of that of course is it's also really easy to share companies that have treated you well. So companies have sort of real punishment if they don't get it right, but also real reward if they do. So all of that means that the companies that are really great at customer service are rising to the top slowly because there aren't very many of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Whereas the rest are really struggling. But customer expectations are being set by the best, and they expect that now everywhere they go. Right. Okay, so uh, I'd like to make an, another note here. Some of our listeners might right now hear my cat meowing in the background. <laughs> this, is, this is another beauty of being a business creator. Uh the advice that's given is when you're hosting a podcast, when you're hosting a radio show, or when you're the guest, put your pets in the other room. Well, my my princesses, spelled P-U-R-R-I-N-C-E-S-S-E-S, are not <laughs> going to tolerate being put in any other room. And the fact is, they work here. So I <laughs> made them part of the brand. They, they work here. Everybody knows they're here, and everybody knows that they help their daddy help uh, – more people went into the game of business and marketing. So if you love the idea of a cat meowing in the background, stay tuned in. If for some reason that turns you off, I'm really sorry. And that's something we may cover a little bit further down the line, which is the power of personality. In fact, uh, I'll remember asking a question like that as we go down. But next, uh, Tema, what do you think is the number one mistake that companies make when it comes to the customer experience? I think the number one mistake is simply not listening to their customers, not asking them what they're thinking and not listening to the answers. Uh, They just assume that they know and they're wrong. Sure. Yeah. And I, and I, I catch my clients with that all the time. It's like, if we actually put this in front of a customer, I mean, how many more internal debates can we have before we actually get out in front of a customer and see what happens? So what can businesses do to improve? Get out there in front of those customers. Um, You know, even something as simple and, you know, a lot of companies like to hide behind surveys. And, you know, if you've got a large audience, surveys are a good thing. But for most entrepreneurs, honestly, the best thing they can do is every week pick up the phone and call a couple of customers and just talk to them. Find out how are things going? How are things going in your business and how are things going with us? And what can we do to make things better for you? Yeah, I think that's I think that's very true. I myself am a big fan of surveys as a marketing tool. And I think yeah. that every so often you do need to just go to your list and you know, after you've made so many offers or done so many things and just check in and see how can we best serve you. 
And there's a, a formula that we teach actually with our surveys in terms of how you can structure the questions to actually make it part of a pre-launch or to begin yeah. planting seeds for an offer you haven't made yet or to test the viability of an offer to see if people will bite. We call it the exploratory campaign effect, and it's something that we find very powerful. But I also see the point of businesses hide behind surveys where they say, on a scale of 1 to 10, was the customer mm -hmm. rep good to you? On a scale of 1 to 10, would right. you recommend our company? Now, these are good questions, and they can give you a great macro feel for overall the the, the taste you're leaving in people's mouths, but that's not the same as customer service. People put those surveys up, and I think this is your point. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tema. People put those up and say, we listen to our customers. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you, know, you know when I feel like I'm being listened to as a customer? When I'm on that live chat or when I'm on that phone and, pe and people are listening to what I'm saying. That's when I feel mm -hmm. listened to. Yeah, and I, I, I know mean, for well being on the management end of surveys. Those, uh, how did you feel about your experience? That's being dumped into a database, and somebody's going to run a spreadsheet. That's not feedback. Mhm, mm absolutely. And as you say, it can give uh, the company sort of a general sense and a sense of how they're doing over time, but it gives them no insight as to why people are feeling what they're feeling. And yeah. to get the subtleties of why, you've got to invest the time of getting open-ended responses. A one to ten isn't going to tell you. Right, right, right. So we're in the, this digital era, instant gratification. Download it now, uh, all over the internet 24-7. What are three essential ingredients to profitability in the digital era? Well, in the book I talk about the three Ps of profit. And so the three Ps, and you need to get all three of them right to really succeed in the long run. So the three Ps are the promise, people, and process. So let's just break it down a little bit. So first of all, the promise. The promise relates to why do you do what you do and how are you perceived? What is your brand, basically? And remember that your brand, you can try to set a particular image for your company, but ultimately your brand is defined by the public out there. How do they perceive you? Um, so you want to have a strong, clear statement that motivates you and your staff to do well, whatever it is that you do and that somehow differentiates you from everybody else. So there's a lot of power to having that that understandable brand and mission, passion, whatever you want to call it, because it gives you also a filter for decision-making. Because as an entrepreneur, you're faced with difficult decisions all the time. Where do I spend money? Where do I not spend money? What should be my priorities? You talked about time pressures, right? Um, if you have a clear guideline about what it is we're trying to accomplish here, that makes it easier for you to set those priorities. And it makes it a lot easier for your staff to deliver the kind of service that you want and the kind of products and quality that you want, because they share those values and they understand it. They're not just cogs in a wheel. Which brings us to the second point, which is the people side. And so that's the second P. So the first one's promise. Second is people. And people there are internal people and external people who all make a huge difference here. So the internal people, obviously, your staff, have to be motivated. If you don't treat your staff well, if you don't inspire them, if you don't give them some freedom to do the right thing combined with some training so they feel comfortable doing it, you're going to have a problem. So the internal people are hugely, hugely important. 
But also, there's a whole wide range of external people relationships that you have to get right in order to ultimately succeed. So it's not just customers and prospects. It's also people like your suppliers, people like your distributors. If you haven't got good relationships with those folks, if your supplier runs into a supply problem, you're not going to be at the top of their list of people that they're giving what's limited supply available to. You know, you've got to have those relationships solid, even relationships with your lenders. Those people relationships ultimately will sustain you. So that's the people part. And then the third part, and this is where I see a lot of businesses fall down, especially if they're growing really quickly or if they've just fallen into certain habits, it's process. So, you know, when a company is new and young, it's easy to just make spur-of-the-moment decisions. And it's easy, relatively easy, for the people at the top or the person at the top to make all the decisions on the fly and make things happen. But as a company gets bigger, you start needing process. And in a lot of companies, it just kind of happens by accident, by default. And if they don't reassess it, it may well be that a lot of those processes that were put in place when you had five people or 10 people no longer make sense when you've got 100 people or 50 people. Right. And and as your customer base grows, so when you've got a handful of customers, you can answer every phone call immediately. You can give them a ton of handholding. As you get bigger, you want to change your processes to make sure that they don't need as much handholding. You want to make sure that your processes are efficient and effective, but from a customer's point of view. So just making it more efficient for you internally, but if that shifts the burden onto the customer, that's not going to help. So you have to look at those processes from, if I were outside of this, if I were a customer or a prospect, what would I have to go through? Looking at every step in the way and how can we make that smoother for them? And usually making it smoother for your customers will actually make it smoother for you internally as well. So those are the three P's, the the promise, people, and process. You get all three of those right, you will profit. Promise, people, and process. For everybody listening, if you're listening live, remember to subscribe to our iTunes channel so you can get this to listen to again, Business Creators Radio Show. Now, Tema, what is the return on investment of making these investments, investing in the customer experience and the improvement thereof? It's huge. And I mean, the actual numbers vary depending on the company and the situation, but there's been study after study that has shown that there is a very, very positive return on investment. Companies um, that performed well on the American Customer Satisfaction Index massively outperformed the overall stock market. Um, The challenge is that it does take a little bit of time. So you're not going to see that return immediately. You're not going to see it even in three months. It may take, unless you're very small, it may take a year, it may take a couple of years. The larger the organization, the longer it'll take till you see the full impact. But in the long run, it is, it's the lifesaver. It's what builds a company. I mean, look at a company like Amazon, which, you know, I, I have mixed feelings now using them as an example because from the viewpoint of a, somebody trying to sell books through Amazon, they're not so customer friendly. But <laughs> if you're buying right. products on Amazon, they are incredibly customer focused. And they were right from the start. And they said right from the start, we don't care about making profits right now. We care about making sure we serve our customers brilliantly. And, you know, I still remember back in their early days, this was 1999, I guess. And I think Amazon was started in 98. And I was living in France for a year. And it was, you know, a few years after my first book had come out. 
And in those days, people didn't have Gmail. So if you moved to a new city or a new country, you usually had to change your email address. And so I had a different email address. I do not know how they did this, but one day I got an email from Amazon saying, we have a customer who's trying to find a copy of that book. Do you still have any that you could send? I was so impressed that they had gone to all the effort to track me down for one order of one book. I sent it out by courier. I lost money on the deal. But I thought, wow, if they can put in that effort, so can I. Um, And now you see it. I mean, they are an incredibly successful company because they made that upfront investment. Yeah, and Amazon is not perfect. And I know that different segments of our listeners (laughs) have different views about them. There have been controversies about – how the things go in their fulfillment centers, uh, yes. some of the politi- some of the politiza- politicization of Amazon and its founder and some of his other investments have lately been giving some people some pause. Mm-hmm. But we have to separate what is maybe not so desirable from what is desirable. And that's another thing that I think is also very important when we think of customer service, which is why I bring that up, even though it seems almost tangential, which is uh, we have to not only look at what's going wrong with our customer service, we have to look at what's going right with our customer service because it's not all bad. Even your Mm -hmm. companies that aren't doing so good at it aren't not doing it at all because otherwise they wouldn't be companies. Yeah, not for long, no. Right, you can't, unless, you can't unless irritate they're monop- everybody. Unless they're monopolies, and you know, which is why companies like utilities or cell phone providers where there's little competition, those are the ones where you hear the most complaints and you have the most dissatisfied customers. And honestly, I think the negative stuff that we're starting to experience with Amazon is because essentially they're becoming almost a monopoly. Right. They've become so big that they have less incentive now to get it right. And that is a real danger. I mean, that's why countries like the United States and Canada have had antitrust legislation to break up huge monopolies. And, you know, we may be getting to the time where they're going to have to start looking at some of these enormous Internet companies. Yeah, Theodore Roosevelt was a man ahead of his time with that. And I think we need to go back to old TR and look at why (laughs) he spent so much time on uh, breaking the trust. Uh, It was for that reason. It was keeping the process democratic and allowing people to have a voice and get the best possible service. I'm a big believer in competition. Now, apart from the employees and the customers, we've spoken of the employees, we've spoken of the customers. What other types of people matter to the business's success? Well, as I said, you've got people like distributors, suppliers, lenders, also just the general public. Uh, How does the general public perceive you? Because now when people can share their views so massively so quickly, even people who never have been your customers and never are likely to be your customers, they can easily communicate with people who may well be or who have the potential to be. So the whole public issue is is of growing importance. Public relations and how you're perceived publicly is becoming much more important. So really, you know, anybody, manufacturers, anybody your company has to interact with, um, all of those people relationships become really, really important because machines only go so far and they only do what people have programmed them to do. So you've got to start at that basic people relationship level. 
So we're just trucking along here. We think everything's going great. The numbers are coming in. We're making money. We have customers. Yay. But what are some of the early warning signs we may have a customer experience problem brewing? That is an excellent question. So there are a few things. I mean, obviously, there are the really obvious ones, like if things have started to level off in terms of sales or even go backwards. But or other obvious stuff like an increase in the number of complaints. Now, a lot of companies, they don't actually track that. So you should be tracking that. How many complaints, uh, even the if the number of calls to your call center have increased, that may be because there's something going wrong. It may just be because your total number of sales has increased, but it may be disproportionate. Uh, if returns or requests for refunds are increasing, those things are all pretty obvious. But there are others that are a little less obvious, such as um, if the length of the sales cycle is increasing, it may well be that it's because people are stalling and they're checking out other competitors and they're not so sold anymore that you're the best. From a marketing and social media point of view, if the number of complaints that mention your company on social media have increased, that means something's starting to go wrong. Or right. internally, if nobody's monitoring social media internally, you're at serious risk because it means that if something is going wrong, you're not going to hear it. From an operations perspective, if you produce products, if there's an increase in product defects or if production's often delayed because equipment needs repairs or there are missing parts, this suggests that there are some process problems and possibly some people problems internally. And you won't see them right away in your sales results, but you will see them down the line because you'll have more returns, you'll have less profits. Um, from a financial process point of view, if you're behind on sending out invoices or if nobody's tracking and following up on unpaid bills, those things will ultimately lead to customer experience problems because you're going to run out of money. From a human resources perspective, if you're finding it harder and harder to recruit staff, or to keep good staff, then again, there's a suggestion there, why is this happening? There's something about our reputation that's making it harder for us to convince people we're the place to be. Or if you've seen an increase in absenteeism or sick leave, or what we sometimes call presenteeism, which is people showing up at the office but not actually working, it means there's a morale problem. That's gonna spill over as well. Uh, and then finally, if you, uh, with your senior level executives, if you've got other people at the top of your team, there are two flip sides, either of which can indicate you've got a problem brewing. One is if there's a lot of disagreement in the executive suite. If you guys are always arguing about how things should be done, there's probably an underlying problem. But on the flip side, if there's no disagreement, if you're the CEO and everybody bows down and says, yes, sir, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, that's also a problem because you're not getting the diverse input that you need to make great decisions. So any of those things, they're not obvious, but they are creeping up and are going to spill over into problems that will ultimately hurt your profitability and survival. Yeah. Yeah, uh, my last corporate job, I was there for over four years, and uh, I was there about a year, and I got a big wake-up call that I might not want to consider making a career here unless some things changed. Uh, mm -hmm. Was uh, It was told to me that there was a big climate of fear around the management meetings uh, if 
somebody in senior management started going off on some tangent. You knew that it was basically like heading straight for the Titanic. Yet I have all these <laughs> nervous glances around the room because nobody wanted to be that person that said, uh, might want to turn the wheel. Yep, exactly. Because uh, there was a there was a big there was a big culture of next thing you know you'll find yourself in the office that has no windows or something like that, <laughs> and unfortunately there were uh, there's the perception out there whether this is true or not I don't want to say but the perception that I picked up from a number of different places was that this was kind of a real thing so mm-hmm. I mean that I mean something like that will go down to your customers because if somebody says well my opinion doesn't matter here just look for them to start phoning it in on the phone yeah. Yeah, just yeah. Let's look for that. And then, and there's one other thing that, and again, this is also tangential, but I just thought of this. Uh, when you start to neglect some of the places where customers can engage with you, I'm reminded of the year mm-hmm. 2013. And here in the United States, we uh, every year the president does the State of the Union address, and then usually a representative of the, the, the other party gives uh, an official response. Well, in 2013, the person giving the response was a gentleman who's very well-known internationally, Senator Marco Rubio. And in the mm-hmm. usual attempts to keep us all divided and fighting over nonsense, they made a big <laughs> deal about the fact that he, took a, that he took a drink from a bottle of water in the middle of his response. What? And this is yeah. the problem why? <laughs> I, it, well, well here's, 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 here's where this can reflect on customer service. Uh, I can't remember the name of the brand of bottled water he drank from. Yeah. I, and I, and I don't want to stall this interview by looking it up now, but it turns out that the Twitter account of that company had not been paid attention to in two years. They missed one heck of an opportunity just because yeah. nobody was at the switches. Yeah, for sure. So for imagine sure. how many other things they missed out on. It could have been customer recovery opportunities, customer service opportunities, new business opportunities, visibility opportunities, simply because nobody was there managing the switches. And I, if you don't I, think if you don't think that was a problem, bear in mind that nobody at that co- company got anybody on the phone and said, "Hey, Senator Rubio just drank our water. We might want to get somebody on the Twitter to respond to all this stuff that's coming in." That didn't happen. That tells you it was actually a problem. That is so foolish. And, you know, companies make mistakes like that so often. I did a, my company did a study about uh, about a year and a half ago now. And we surveyed, well, we reached out to 104 companies that do e-commerce. So they sell stuff online and they had Twitter accounts. And to each of those companies on a Sunday afternoon, we sent a little tweet saying, I have a question about shipping. A third of them never replied, even with a follow-up prompt that we sent them two weeks later saying, hey, we reached out to you and didn't hear back. A third never even answered. It's like, you guys, you're selling online and you have a Twitter account. That absolutely boggles my mind. Like, they just don't get it. Yeah. And, and, your, and your smarter web hosting companies have gotten into this. In fact, if I'm ever considering a web hosting company, one of the first things I do is look at their Twitter account and see if they have uh, a team in place that responds to my site is down or what's going on mm-hmm. with the network or what's the ETA. Uh, yeah. some, of the, some, of the, some of the good companies will have a separate dedicated Twitter account just to customer service inquiries. And what's really good about that is it shows them caring about their customers, and it also meets the customer on their turf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Although I've got to warn people, if you have a separate Twitter account to handle customer service inquiries, 
make sure that they're linked up with the people for your regular Twitter account because what right. often will happen, people will tweet to your regular account not realizing there's a separate one. And if they, if you don't have a system internally to feed that over to the people who do service, then you're going to cause a lot of customer frustration. That's also very true. And the smart ones will be on both accounts, and they'll have the people yeah. on the main account saying, we answered you over on our support. Or, did you know we have a support Twitter account? Can you post it there? You know, it's well, very minimum. I would argue they shouldn't do that. I would argue they well, should that's answer Well, that's what they'll say sometimes. I mean, obviously, yeah. they should just yeah. handle it. I mean, I get that, too. Yeah. And yeah. I, guess, I guess another way we could correct my own language is to say, um, okay, well, here's the answer to your question. In the meantime, we have a, a, a service account. Make sure you follow that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because what they also use the service accounts for is the tweet notifications of, service, of server outages. Service because outages. most yeah, – yeah, so that way – so that way, a lot of people might say, hey, my site's down, so they can just go to the Twitter account, and they can see that there's an alert, and then they can go to the page that has all the uptime monitors, and they can say, well, mine's down, and they say the ETA is in 45 minutes. Okay, lunchtime. And that yeah. solves some customer service problems right there. Yeah, absolutely. It it makes a huge difference, and it saves you so much time because then you're not dealing with a gazillion phone calls. Most yes. people got the answer themselves, and they know. Yeah. All right. So we're about uh, we have about twenty minutes left here, and uh, I want to change the uh, the. Actually, I want to follow the trajectory we're following right now because we're talking about Twitter. And let's move to the online. Uh, mm -hmm. What should we do when it happens and people say negative things about us on social media? Mm -hmm. And it will happen. So the first thing you should have done um, is is be active on social media to begin with so that right. A, you're aware of it, and B, you've built a little bit of credibility and some relationships. Because if you've built those relationships beforehand, then if somebody says something negative about you on social media, odds are your supporters will come and defend you, and you don't even have to do it yourself, which is the ideal scenario. Now, assuming you're not there, um, assuming you were not proactive enough to have done that, if you discover that somebody has said something negative on social media, the first thing you want to do is very, very quickly acknowledge it. Say you're sorry that there is a problem. You would like to talk to them about it to get more information and see how you can make things right. And then you encourage them to contact you offline. And right. so, and in whatever way they want. So you're not going to say call us because people who are online often don't like making phone calls. So you may give them an option, say you could either call us at this number and we'll talk, or feel free to direct message or email, give them options, let them do it, however works for them. But you want to get them offline so that the debate doesn't continue in front of the public. Yeah. Um, usually that will work. Occasionally somebody just wants to mouth off in public. And so what I would recommend there is, you know, try to engage with them a couple of times, try to discuss it with them calmly, rationally, try and solve it if you can. Uh, obviously, always, always apologize, even if you know you're not in the wrong. You still want to apologize because they are upset, and you're apologizing for the fact that something that happened has upset them. Right. Um, you're not saying, I'm sorry, I screwed up necessarily. It's not an it's, yeah, it's not an admission of guilt. It's, a, it's right. an admission of, hey, uh, I'm sorry this is going on. Right. So yeah. what can we do? And then if you're really not getting anywhere with them, then ultimately you just say, you know, I'm sorry we couldn't make this work out for you, but there doesn't seem to be much point in continuing to talk online. 
and ended. Then they can rant a little bit longer, but what you'll find is they've lost credibility because you, by staying calm and staying helpful, you've shown anyone who's reading this stuff publicly, you've shown yourself to be the good guys. You've shown yourself to be the ones who are, are being reasonable and trying to be helpful, and they just end up looking like idiots, and very quickly the issue will die. Where it doesn't die, it's because companies have done really foolish things, like they've got emotional themselves in their response, or they've right. tried to delete the negative tweets or the negative comments. You delete them, it's like those mythological, the hydra or whatever, you chop off one head and two more grow back. You yeah. just can't do that. Right. And uh, and the point I'd, I'd make going along with that, because you said everything that I say in those same situations, is that at this point, when you're dealing with that person, even if they're just a flamer that just wants to mm-hmm. just wants to mouth off because you're the object of their anger for everything else that's wrong in their life, mm-hmm. that they don't know how to deal with it constructively, so they've picked you to be the brunt of it for today. Um, mm-hmm. You can, yeah, you can probably easily research that person online and find ten other companies they've flamed. But whatever. What, yeah. we're, what we're looking at at this point is you're addressing not only that flamer, that troll, but you're also blame, you're also addressing your entire audience because yeah. we all know nobody's perfect, and even great companies make mistakes and things go wrong sure. sometimes. So if I'm thinking about doing business with somebody, I want to know their successes, obviously, but I also want to know how they handle it when things don't go so well. For sure, for so sure. I want to know I'm going to be taken care of. And if you show me that if I engage with you and things don't go exactly as planned, do you have a track record for how to handle that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So how can we win back customers who have left us because our service wasn't so great? Okay. So the first thing that you want to do is if you have any way of reaching out to those customers directly, you want to do that. And you want to start by saying, we know we messed up in the past. We know things were not great in the past. And now we're working to change that and to improve it and to turn it around. We would like to talk to you about what we can do that will win you back and that will make you happy to deal with us again. And even if you don't want to come back, if you would be willing to just talk to us briefly, give us some feedback on what we could have done better, we would really value that. Make them an offer of some sort, and what I would suggest here is, you know, some kind of a compensation offer, but be flexible with that because what you'll find is often they'll accept less, a lot less than you thought you might have to pay to try and make up for what went wrong. So simply the fact that you've reached out to them in a personal kind of way is going to be enough for a lot of customers. They won't even need more compensation than that. You reach out to them and say, look, we know we messed up. We're trying to change. Here are some things we're doing. Would you be willing to give us another try? Often that's going to be enough, and they will. So, you know, again, it depends what you're selling and how difficult it is for them to try again. If it's a major system that's going to take six months to implement, obviously, it's a different kind of conversation. But if it's something simple, um, for instance, one fellow that I interviewed with uh, Bentley Leathers, and they had had... They had had some really bad service. Uh, This was a few years ago. And he walked into the company as the head of e-commerce right before the Christmas rush. And so he just started reaching out to all the customers that they had in their database from before saying, look, we know we messed up. I'm new in this job. 
I'm determined to turn this around. You know, here's a, a discount offer if you'd be willing to give us another try, and I'd really love to get your feedback on how we can do better. And one thing that he did is what that offer was, because they had a pretty large database of customers, he experimented a little bit. So we'd send it out to a small sub-segment first with different dollar levels, let's say, and see right. which had the best impact where that that cutoff point is and realize that he didn't have to give as much compensation as he might have thought initially to get people to give them another try. Because the thing is, if people bought from you in the first place, at some level there's something about you that appealed to them. You were offering something they wanted. So an awful lot of people are going to be willing to give you that second chance if you show them that you really are changing. I'm gonna. I, I've wanted to ask this one for a long time, and this is perfect. <laughs> this is this is gonna show up as a little bit of a challenge to what you just said. And you may just tell me, well, you tell this person to buzz off. But uh, <laughs> let's go back. Let's go back 12, 13 years. And I was the president of a professional organization. And uh, this other company was doing some kind of events in our area and wanted to know if our organization could support it. So mm -hmm. they followed the guidelines. They emailed the board of directors. And see, I was actually offline for a few hours, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and by the time I got back online, I saw this person who first emailed the board. Somebody had told them that I was the person to speak with. And in front of the, and in front of the uh, entire board of directors, they had not once, but twice emailed me in such a way where the general tone of it is, what's taking you so long to answer me? And this was somebody okay. asking for our help. And, uh, huh. as, and as I was typing the nicest reply I could, another email came in from this person and said, okay, waiting for Prez Homie here was the subject line. Mm -hmm. well, I, was, I was offended he called me Prez as, as, mm -hmm. as, as opposed to Mr. President. Because mm -hmm. he should have been calling me Mr. President because I was the president of the organization. He should not have yeah. been treating me like I was supposed to be at his beck and call, and he has expectations of how fast I answer him. And mm -hmm. uh, I, just, uh, I just ignored that and any other subsequent email. So the day after their event was over, I sent an email to him in front of everybody that he had embarrassed me in front of. And the subject line was, why we wouldn't support your event. And I <laughs> told him professionally but very clearly because the guy was an asshole yeah and so then he wrote back to me and said hey is there any chance you could give me a call for a minute and we could talk about this <laughs> and and you know what immediately went through my mind was why so you can mm. sell me something <laughs> yeah right so when it's that far gone can it ever be recovered Probably not. All right. I would argue that rather than asking something of you at that point, which was your time, he would have been better off to send you a gift or something saying, I realize I really messed up and I'm sorry. And then say, if you'd be willing to consider us again next time, I, you know, I would love to talk to you about that. But Aha. start by offering, like. yeah, start by offering saying, look, I, a apology and B, offering you something of value to make up for it. Wow. So that's what I was hoping you would say. That's where I was leading you. It's like I set up the pins and you rolled the strike. This is brilliant. We work well together here, Tama. That's great. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, what, what I was saying in that, and you picked up on it immediately, was he even made the apology all about him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, the fact that I was upset about, enough, uh, upset about it enough to remember weeks later to circle around just to bring it up mm -hmm. again, yeah. 
that's the clue that you have somebody's attention and it's up <laughs> yeah. to you what you do with that. I mean, if I had just yeah. blown the guy off entirely, that would have been worse than my complaint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because but you I were actually, in fact- but I actually, I made a point of knowing when their event was so that I knew a day later to get back to them just to let them know why we, why we left them hanging. Absolutely. And in a sense, the fact that you cared enough to do that meant in a way you were kind of opening a door, but they had to show contrition. They had to show that, wow, yep, we really screwed up and we would like to make up for it somehow. Yep, and instead he made the apology all about him. So uh, right. I mean, that, yeah. that so so that one I guess is a cautionary tale for yeah, you can royally screw up your communications and alienate somebody, and if they come back to you and tell you about it, that means they're holding the door open. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to say, oh yeah, I'm totally wrong, and we'll change everything just to match you from now on. But it gives you an opportunity that you may be able to find something of value. Yeah, but it's all yeah. in how you approach it. It's all in how you, you know. It sort of reminds me of uh, an incident I had with uh, web mystery shoppers, and the company was still fairly young, and we had, I guess, only about 600 people in our database of, of testers at that point. And I had just moved from one city to another, and we had to switch hosting companies again. This was back in the dark ages, and. So my hosting company had said, okay, your site's going to be down for a couple of days while we do the switchover. And so we were. they said, no problem, we'll just email everyone in your database to let them know that it'll be down for a couple of days. And right. so, you know, I drafted the email and it went out. And then I started getting phone calls from friends of mine. Thank goodness it was friends of mine who were the first people in the database right. <laughs> saying, Tema, why are you flooding us with email? And it took, we were already up to, no, I guess we had about a 1,000 people because we were up to about 600 people by the time we figured out what was going on. And what was going on is they had made a programming error, and so there was a loop. So the first person got their email. Then when the second person got theirs, the first person got two emails. When the third person got theirs, the first and the second each got another email. So very quickly there was this geometric expansion and people's email boxes were totally flooded. Wow. And Yeah. And I was running a web-based company to have screwed up like that. Talk about devastating. And I was, um, and of course it was a Friday afternoon, right? And so I was in my home office and my daughter, who was five, wandered into the office and she could see and hear that I was fighting off tears because I thought that's it. My business is dead. And she asked mom, you know, what are you so upset about? And I tried to explain it to her. And she, with the brilliance that only a five-year-old can come up with said, why don't you just phone them all and tell them you're sorry? And I was about to say, I can't phone 600 people. And then I thought, whoa, yeah, we can phone 600 people. We obviously couldn't email an apology because they couldn't even get their email at the moment. And so the supplier and I spent the weekend telephoning 600 people to apologize. And what happened as a result of that was that even the one guy who was threatening to sue us, he actually said, can I help you with these phone calls? They were so impressed that we were doing that. It's just, so, it's just that it's just that little shift right there, and, yeah. and 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 again, we don't really have time to get into the the, the longer range of this. But uh, can you imagine where that could actually lead to new business for somebody just because you took the yeah. time? 
Yeah, and I'm sure it did. I'm sure I got. I know I got new testers because of that, and I'm sure I did get some clients because of that. Right. Because okay. it built our reputation as credible people who cared. Yeah, right. So we're getting near the top of the hour, and I want to spend just 90 seconds on one other question I have here. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, a lot of businesses, especially online businesses, are based around the personality of the founder or the personality of the creator. Now, as businesses grow, as they expand, that one person can't be the chief cook and bottle washer anymore. They now have to designate other people to do the work, especially if it's a service-based business, or to handle the customer service because it's going to take away from their business brilliance to answer the where do I get my link type questions. So mm -hmm. how do we bridge the gap between the expectation and we have um, the feeling of a relationship with that business owner because they are the, the front and center of that business versus when we actually contact the company or we hire their services, we're dealing with our project manager? You know, it's a tough one. I think partially there's a question of being upfront, certainly with new clients, about who they'll actually be dealing with and being honest right. with that. Um, but in terms of the people who were your core original clients, I would say, first of all, you want to keep in touch with them for as long as you can. Um, but even if you can't handle every inquiry as the founder, as the CEO, you still want to make sure that you reach out to those people from time to time on an individual basis just to let them know you still care about them. Right. Okay. That and I and I think that's a good balance right there because a lot of our business creators struggle with that. They move from solopreneur to true business model, and uh, they still have people who, even new people, say, "Well, I hired you. I didn't hire a project manager, so I don't want to work with yeah. you." Yeah. And that, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, that's a risk, but I think you have to be really straight with people about, okay, our company has reached the point now where I cannot do it all. These people are people I've hired because they're really great. I've trained them in my methods or our approach, whatever. But I'm always here. If you've got a problem, talk to me. If you're not okay. getting the level or the quality of service that you expected from me, talk to me. But right. a lot of it is just setting expectations up front. It's like, yep, yep. I'm the one who's selling you on this job. These are the people who are going to do the work, and here's why I think they're the best fit for you. Absolutely. So we are actually at the top of the hour. Uh, 30 seconds. You said you had a gift for us uh, for people investing themselves by tuning in today. Tell us about it. Absolutely. One of the most common mistakes that I see entrepreneurs make is um, their websites aren't great. And you can save yourself a lot of aggravation with a good website and you can get new business. So I have a document that I call 85 Tips for a Better Website, and I'd like to offer that free to your listeners. They can get that by going to frankreactions.com forward slash Adam. And so they're welcome to pick that up. And, of course, if they want to learn more about the stuff we've been discussing today, the book People Shock, The Path to Profits When Customers Rule is now available at Amazon and on iBooks and other places. Yes, absolutely. So, Tema Frank of Frank Reactions, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education for me and for our listeners. Great. Thank you. It's been great to be here. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Till next time. Have a great day. Take care.